0: And then everybody's going to find their talent. Everybody's got to find their contribution. Some people are like, you know, they're like loudmouths. So they just kind of like to talk. And, like, and like, that's kind of like my thing. I'm like a teacher. And I, but other people, it's going to be one-on-one. or it's going to be about creating art. and about turning your story into culture.
1: Hey, everybody. It's uh, Jason Wright live today on The Oddball Show. How's everybody doing? I'm um, very excited today um, I'm extremely excited I have a guest on uh, that I've I truly admire uh, someone uh, that uh, I've all, I all I look up to in in, uh, in the mental health community and, and uh, a lot it's just someone that I've always really wanted to talk to um, so let's just get right into it so um, Thanks for joining us today. We have a very special guest and a personal hero of mine on the show tonight, Will Hall. Will Hall is the author of the books, Outside Mental Health, Voices and Visions of Madness, and the incredibly thought-provoking and maybe even life-changing harm reduction guide to coming off of psychiatric drugs. He is the voice of Madness Radio, which you can read many of his interviews of psychiatric survivors in his book, Outside Mental Health. As well as his frequent contributions as a columnist at Mad in America, a driving force behind the Hearing Voices Network, the Mad Pride Movement, psychiatric survivors movement, as well as co-founder of the Freedom Center, an advocates advocate and a respected and revered voice in the mental health community, Will Hall. Will, welcome to the Oddball Show.
0: You're, I'm, you're, um, you're making me totally embarrassed, man. It's, that's quite. A, it's really sweet. Thank you for the intro, Jason, and I. I admit, really admire you, man. You're an up-and-coming voice in this whole scene too. So I'm really excited to, to be here, and it's great. You're all your creativity and putting yourself out there. You're leading the way, man. Let's change the culture. Let's change the society. You know, let's do it. Oh man, wow, that means a lot. You know, I'm gonna have that.
1: I'm gonna go have. I'm gonna go get that on a plaque somewhere. I'm gonna put that like uh, <laughs> that's like gonna be like that. You know that uh, that 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 uh, that picture of the cat on the tree, and it says like, keep going. You're doing great. I was going to say the same thing. I was going to say Will Hall. <laughs> uh, so uh, let's talk about your work, because this is really good. This is uh, this is really a very interesting time in my life right now that, that you're on the show. Um, and I'm sure there's many people like me right now who are wondering, hey, I'm on medication. And, and listeners, if you're out there, yeah, I, I, I am. A, 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 I have... A diagnosis of schizoaffective disorder. I've been on medications for 25 years, um, and uh, there was a there was a, a little background about how I how I became how I learned to to learn of Will Hall. So, I was, you know, when you're on psych meds and you just everything seems to be going wrong. Uh, you know, your waistline's going up uh, you know, everything just seems, to, seems to be going wrong. Uh, the side effects start to outweigh the benefits of what they're actually, the meds are actually doing. I found a book called the harm reduction guide to coming off of psych meds. And it was written by Will Hall, who I had known from madness radio and Will wrote this book and will um, can you just explain to the, the listeners, what this harm reduction principle is and, and tell about the book, Harm Reduction Guide to Coming Off of Psych
0: Yeah, yeah, thanks. Well, um, it really uh, fills a need because there's a lot of info out there about getting on psych drugs, but there's not a lot of info about coming off psych drugs. And what we saw was the, uh, cause I, I come out of the movement, a lot of support groups, a lot of activist groups, a lot of advocacy meetings and what we saw was that there was a lot of judgment. People are being judged because they're on psych meds or they're being judged because they're not on psych meds. Everybody's kind of telling everybody what to do. And it it really is part of the whole stigma and shame and taboo is that there's so much judgment that people are afraid and, and no one can really talk about it openly. So we felt this real need, there was a gap. And the need was for an approach that wasn't about judgment, but that really starts with where people are at. Like, look, it's about you and what your life is about and what your goals are. I can't tell somebody, yeah, you're better off on meds, you're you're better off off meds. Who am I to judge somebody else's life? And there is an approach um, in the uh, world of drug addiction, harm reduction that we borrowed this idea from because it's basically the same idea. Like, look, I'm not anti-psychotics. I'm not anti-alcohol. I'm not anti-cannabis. They're very different kinds of substances, but I'm not going to be preaching or trying to, you know, tell people what they they should or should not do with their lives. Now, what we can do, however, is give people choices and give people accurate information and give people options because we know that for um, alcohol addiction, some people, they can drink and that's part of their life and that's what works for them. And other people, they touch one drink and they go down, they go down into a really bad addiction place. And they need to stay away from alcohol completely, but not everybody fits into either one of those boxes. There's some people who are in the middle. Some people aren't sure. Some people are kind of figuring it out. So a harm reduction approach in alcohol addiction does not say you must stop alcohol. It says, okay, what works for you? Maybe moderating your drinking is what maybe you want to stop now, but you change your mind later, or maybe you have a different, or maybe you substitute cannabis or you know, what, there's all kinds of different ways that people find their way forward. And that's what we felt is needed around psych drugs. Instead of judging people, we need to say, look, everybody's got their own path for healing. And I'm not gonna judge you, but I, I do wanna be here as a supporter with options so that you can find your own way. And if you wanna try psychiatric medications, okay, that's one option, but there's all these other options that you may not know about because harm reduction is really about information and it's really about giving people access to choices. And then if, if you do want to reduce your medications or you do want to try and come off your medications, you should have accurate information and support about how to do that so that you can navigate things yourself. Too many people, like once they get on an antipsychotic, they're just told, okay, that's it. That's it's, you know, for the rest of your life, you've got like schizophrenia, or you've got schizoaffective disorder. That was what I was diagnosed with. Same thing as you were diagnosed with. And I was just told like the meds, you just got to control these symptoms with meds for the rest of your life. Turns out that isn't true. The reality is that some people do seem to do best long-term medications, but for a lot of people, they get worse long-term medications. A lot of people are actually able to find that they can come off or reduce their medications. We don't know who they are. So instead of judging people, we have to say, okay, look, you got to figure this out for yourself. There's not in psychiatry and mental health in general, there's not a lot of respect for working with people and listening to them and helping them find their own way, which to me is the essence of what this is about. Like, like you just said, look, you've been on medications for 20 something years. You've been, you've been diagnosed. Now I'm just, I'm just getting to know about your story. I can't jump in with a bunch of assumptions. I can't tell you, man, hey, Jason, you really should get off these drugs or, hey, Jason, you really got to stay on these drugs if you don't want to go back in the hospital. I don't know your story. So my job, if I want to be a supporter from a harm reduction perspective is to get to know you and to listen to you and be there and accompany you as you explore and make decisions and make choices uh, that are based on what's right for you, not somebody in the outside acting like they know what's best for you. So that's kind of, I, I think in a nutshell, what it's about. For me, it's about individual empowerment and finding your own way in relationship to substances, including psychiatric drugs.
1: Well, it's really, it's really interesting that you would say that. You know, when I was thinking, and I was gonna save this for the second segment, and I still wanna continue to talk about um, this idea, but uh, I had just literally watched on YouTube uh, a video about Artie Lang. And was that sort of his um, kind of approach to, um, you know, it seemed like he was, his approach was different than just metting up meeting up people, talk to them more about, um, you know, the the, the talk approach. Um, so I don't know, I was just wondering, could you briefly talk about RD Lang
0: and, and how it harm reduction has something that's sort of to do with that? Mm-hmm. Well, um, people may have noticed this. Um, It's not a big secret. It's not a surprise. But the society we live in is full-on crazy. We live in a totally crazy society. We are literally full speed ahead right over a cliff with ecological Armageddon. And I'm not exaggerating. That's what the scientists say. So back in his time, R.D. Lang was a Scottish psychiatrist, and he um, had the kind of honesty... And the intellectual curiosity to really take that seriously like wait a second there's so much violence in society there's so much child abuse there's poverty there's materialism there's these incredible wars i mean a lot of the time when he was writing the the u.s war in vietnam was happening so what are we doing telling people that you're crazy and you should adapt to and fit into and make yourself conform to the society maybe it's a little bit different. Maybe some of the people who are identified and diagnosed as mentally ill, maybe they actually are reacting to the kind of craziness of the society that we live in. And I'm, I'm all about listening to people. I'm not going to impose a view when I work with people or I'm in the support group, but that's what I see over and over and over again. People are, you know, they're kind of waking up from all the trauma, and the abuse that they went went through. Rape is so common against women, the incest is so common. I mean, men too are trauma survivors. Emotional neglect, people who who they may have had privilege, but they never were listened to. They never had their feelings really met by their by their parents, by their by the family that they grew up in. And so all that is normal. And, and people are kind of waking up to wait a second, what was normal actually was quite crazy. And that I've been told that there's something wrong with me in my family, or I've been told by my boss, like, why are you complaining? You should be, you should be happy that you have this $8 an hour job, or why are you complaining about your debts? You know, why you should work harder in society. There's all these messages from a crazy society that blame us as individuals. And so what I see is that when people start to wake up and they start to understand they turn that around. They say, "Wait a second, you know, maybe I'm just having normal reactions to an abnormal society," and that's basically what R.D. Lang saw. He studied families and um, he looked at the way in which someone who's diagnosed with schizophrenia actually is often responding to the family situation. And it's not just child abuse in the family; it can be something like um, like a mixed message, like a double bind. Like in my family, for example. I was always told, well, you're so smart. You're so gifted. You have so much talent. You can do anything you want. But at the same time, I was getting this other message, which is that we're not listening to you. We're not paying attention to your feelings. If you, had, if you have bad feelings, we're just going to shame you for them and we're going to shut them down, shut them down. So I, I grew up in this kind of crazy making family that was giving me these mixed messages that we love you, but at the same time, we're not going to listen to you. And I think I internalized that and I sort of developed my own madness as a way of escaping that. And when I went into the hospital system, I was basically told, you know, your brain's broken, it's genetic, you know, and we, we've got this pill that's gonna fix the chemistry. It's like you take the car into the mechanic and the, uh, the, the air supply and the carburetor is too high. So, you know, you're, you're running too rich in your fuel and we got to kind of adjust it. We're just gonna give you this pill and it's gonna adjust your brain chemistry. And R. D. Lang was um, had enough integrity that he really looked at, wait a second, what are these medications doing? These are these are tranquilizers. And I'm not I'm not anti-medication. I know people find medications helpful, but we have to be honest about them. They're not fixing the broken machinery of our brain. They're actually substances. There's, you know, um uh, uh, thorazine or Haldol has more in common with alcohol than it does with an antibiotic. I mean, it's a consciousness changing. Substance. These are tranquilized. These are sedatives. In fact, the antipsychotics, some of the antipsychotics, are used to um, sedate and tranquilize animals in veterinary medicine or in um, wildlife settings or wildlife management settings. So, R.D. Lang was the psychiatrist who was willing to grapple with honesty about look, the society is crazy. Families are often crazy. We have to be honest about these drugs. And now we're drugging these people instead of listening to them and instead of actually helping them understand the crazy environment that they live in. And so Lang really was outspoken about this. He started to, to challenge the prevailing kind of wisdom of his time. And he said, look, we have to actually realize that when someone is having delusions or they're having hallucinations or they're having like auditory hallucinations or voices or something, actually, if we listen deeply enough and we understand their history and their story and where they come from, especially their family, it can start to make sense. And Lang was very outspoken about this in the 60s and early 70s, when a lot of people were, were, were wondering whether the society had gone crazy. You have the threat of nuclear war, you have um, the US war in Vietnam, you have all the racism that wasn't being dealt with. And you also had the women's movement saying, hey, you know, no one's dealing with rape or child abuse or incest. And so he was really part of a voice that was coming forward saying, look, we need to start to question that maybe society is mad. And that we need to grapple with that, not by fixing the individual, but by thinking about social change. And Lang had the, he had the prescience to be aware that unless we make really big changes, that we are going to go off the cliff. We're either going to destroy ourselves with nuclear warfare, or we're going to poison ourselves to death, or we're going to completely dismantle the climate and habitat and basically destroy ourselves ecologically. And he put these things together. He said that we need a we need a revolution within ourselves to be more honest and to grapple with the crazy society that we live in. But we also need changes in the society. And, and I see this over and over again, Jason. I mean, I, I see that people, you know, in the support groups, individuals, people are facing poverty. You know, they're facing the fact that they don't have a, a place to just go and hang out. They don't. There's no spare room at their brother's place. There's no like you know, extra money. There's no savings that they can take a break from their job, everyone is being ground down by this kind of hyper capitalist individual exploitation that, that is going on. And so to blame yourself in that kind of society, I, I think is a, a serious mistake. And we need to start to have conversations and create a discourse and a, and a discussion where we're starting to point to social change that's neat. And I think that's fundamentally what R.D. Lang was about. And he did a lot of really interesting work. He did he did work later on in his career where he was supporting the women's movement that was validating the experience of childbirth, because you have to remember in the 60s and earlier, like women were just, if you were giving birth, you were just treated like you were sick. You're like, the doctor has all the control. The doctor thinks all the decisions. There were no midwives. There was no decision-making about natural childbirth or having a birth at home. And so Lang was critical of the medical establishment around childbirth, exactly the same way that he was critical of the psychiatric establishment that that may basically maybe some of these things are more natural responses, but we've turned them into illnesses. We've turned them into diseases. We've turned them into disorder to kind of fit people into a society where actually we maybe need to turn that around. We need to make society fit into what human needs are and what, what individual needs are. So, so Lang has been a big inspiration for me. He's kind of fallen out of favor. He's seen as anti um, psychiatry and anti-drugs. He really wasn't. His view was much more uh, nuanced and complex than that. But basically, he believed in creating sanctuaries. And I, I believe in creating a sanct- place for people to go. If you're freaking out, if you're losing your mind, if you need to be safe, if you need to have a place that you can scream and yell and bang on the floor and you know and make crayon drawings and just sort of be, exp- you should have the space to do that. The Psychiatric hospital isn't. Is in that place. That's a place where if you raise your voice, they're going to raise your meds. And I got, I, I got into an argument with a nurse. I was in an isolation room. You know, It was very traumatizing for me to be in an isolation. Room. They decided I was suicidal. And instead of just sitting with me and talking with me and trying to understand where these feelings came from, they just thought, oh, we're locking you up. We're going to put you in restraints and put you in, in, in a van and then take you to the ER. Well, I tell you that those restraints that they put me in, that was traumatizing. That was traumatizing. So the mental health system is really crazy, and in some ways it has improved. I'm, I'm not going to not you know deny that, but in some ways' it's, it's worse than it was in RD. Lang's time, but he was one of the kind of the earliest, um, well, not the earliest earliest, but he, he was one of the strongest and most popular um, voices for changing the system. And he had a really lasting effect. He was very influential for the patient's movement, a lot of patients, a lot of women in the women's movement. Um, really felt validated by him because he was people knew that there was something wrong in these families like you know there's something there's an abusive father and mom is really oppressed and no one's talking about their feelings everyone's just about performance and you know making it in society and he, lang helped articulate that yeah there is something wrong in society and there is there is social change that, that's needed not just trying to change individuals or fix individual brains
1: So, can I ask you a question? So, you talked earlier um, about, uh, you know, well, you you talked about two experiences and um, you talked about uh, being in a psych ward versus being in a place where you can go uh, crazy and draw on the walls and scream and and shout and everything like that. I would much rather be in a place where I could do that, especially if I was coming off of psych meds. And, And I feel like in a hospital, I don't know if there's even hospitals that let you do that and go off of psych meds i know that um i don't know exactly where it was it was it was i think it was in um it was probably in amsterdam everything is in amsterdam uh (laughs) it's happening revolutionary in the world but it was um it was a hospital that like was like hey you're coming off psych meds this is the place to do it and we're gonna we we know you're coming off psych meds this is
0: it. is it it's actually been there's a program in norway where they're pervading Creating some alternative spaces and Norway, yes, yeah, Norway. There are, there are big changes. The patients' movement has, has been pushing for decades, and we're starting to make some headway. But for me, I mean, I'm an abolitionist. I don't think we should have a mental health system, I don't think we should have mental hospitals. I think it's just antiquated. We should have places for people to go, but why go to a hospital if you want to hang out and have a retreat and be supported to talk about your feelings? Do you want to go to a hospital? I mean, hospitals where they put the sick people and they deal with, you know, cardiac arrests and infections and everybody's crammed in together. And so um, we need spaces um, that are alternative uh, nurturing spaces, but we need it in the community. And that to me, it says, what's going on in the community? Folks may have noticed, but there's not a lot going on. And first, first of all, we're all in, we're all in pandemic mode right now. But where are the community centers? Where is the space? Where's the time? Everybody's working two jobs, 60 hours a week. Where do we even have community? Community is such a, a completely misused word like 10 people on, the, on Facebook is a community. No, no, it's not. It's community is people having time. You're seeing each other face to face. So if we really wanna deal with emotional distress, I don't, I don't even wanna say mental health anymore. We really wanna just deal with anxiety and panic and terror and trauma and people freaking out and having visions and we have to have strong healthy communities and if we're going to have strong healthy communities guess what you can't do it under ruthless capitalism just not going to work so if you are interested in mental health advocacy get into get involved with political change get involved with making big changes in our economy and our society and our democracy because that's how we're going to take care of people good example is, is suicide i mean it's a terrible example but Basically, whenever unemployment goes up, whenever there's an economic crisis, the suicide rate goes up. Of course it does because people's livelihoods are at stake. So guess what? If you want to have the suicide rate go down, you have to have things like guaranteed employment, guaranteed income, universal basic income, ba- housing as a human right, You know, place, places that people can fundamentally get their needs met in society. We live in, in the wealthiest society on earth. I'm in California. It's the wealthiest part of the wealthiest Society. We can afford this. We don't have to put so much money into the military. We can change our priorities away from consumerism. We can start meeting basic needs, and then we can start helping the whole world. And if people think, "Oh, that's that's crazy," well, actually, if I had told you that you know in March there was going to be a pandemic, and that everyone was going to stay home voluntarily, and all the businesses were going to shut down, you would say that's insane. Well, it it happened, and people did it because of social solidarity. If we had the leadership, and we had a movement, people would do that to, to deal with climate change. We could have a climate strike. We could have climate stay at home. We could reorganize our whole society. We could go through that disruption. And then people say, well, Will, you know, that's fantasy. That's pie in the sky. Well, wait until we start hitting the wall with climate change. You know, how much child poverty do you need in the United States? How much chronic homelessness? How many people do you need in prisons before we start to really wake up that we need dramatic Huge changes. So for me, I'm a, I'm a mental health abolitionist. I fundamentally believe we need to meet people's needs by transforming the community. That's that's my vision.
1: So you're saying that the a healthier community um, where a government takes well, or just where people are treated more with respect, mm-hmm. are given fair treatment and better jobs, and uh, basically treated justly by their government and just in general by human society will probably would in effect cause uh, a positive
0: change in the world. Oh, dramatically, dramatically. I mean, that's, that's I think that we need to start to look at, I mean, especially among young people, the suicidal feelings among young people has gone up dramatically. All the mental health indicators, anxiety, depression have gone up. Is that because their brains are broken? Is that because they're, what, they're on Facebook too much? No, that's because they're growing up in a very terrifying society where they're looking at their adulthood and their old age being literally in what the scientists say could be the collapse of civilization. If that doesn't make you panic, then there's something wrong with not panicking. Right, right. So I think that we're right at the beginning of this, but people are starting to make the connections that mental health is not about pills and doctors. It's about the society and it's about the culture and it's about what is whether society is worth waking up in the morning for. people want meaningful work. If you don't have meaningful work, if you don't have a meaningful contribution, then yeah, you're gonna you're gonna be depressed if you feel like your, your dreams have been thwarted. Um, so there's things that we can do on a social level. And it's, it's not about like big government and government is really there to help kind of rebalance the society. If we, if we just had society and, and capitalism doing whatever it wanted to do, you would have child labor, you'd have kids being exploited. And, and so the government says, oh, no, we don't, we don't have child labor. You know, you have to have rules. And what if we had some additional rules? Oh, sorry, no homelessness. Sorry, no poverty. You know, everyone has guaranteed housing. Everyone has guaranteed, we can, we can do that. We can afford that as a, as a society. We can manage, but the problem is politically. You know, do we have yeah. the will to do it politically and through, it, through yeah. democracy? And every single um, economic, every single indicator of mental health that you want to look at, it has roots in social, political, economic, because people, that's where people live. People live in society. So you're under all these pressures, and so that's that's basically what I think we need to be talking about when we're talking about mental
1: health. So, so, well, um, if someone wanted to get involved with, uh, say, they wanted to simply get involved with um, an, av- an advocacy movement that would that would affect change mm-hmm. um, in uh, in a larger scale or or just in general, someone who's never advocated before, never did anything what 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 is a good small step for someone who's yeah really spoken up
0: well this is this is the beauty of the psychiatric survivors movement and this is i think the genius of the psychiatric survivors movement and we really got it from the women's movement the women's movement the feminism in the 60s and 70s really what taught us this it's about telling your story it's about getting your voice out there it's about telling really starting to talk about your reality. And that's the beginning. If you can really dig in and, and you're gonna find shame. You're gonna find stigma. You're gonna find, you know, a lot of blocks. Like, can I really I I mean, Jason, I really I applaud you for just putting that out there, man. I'm on meds, I'm I'm diagnosed with schizoaffective disorder. I'm thinking about coming off. What am I gonna do? That's the society we need to live in where people have the courage. And to me, that's really where the movement is, you know, and then everybody's going to find their talent. Everybody's got to find their contribution. Some people are like, you know, they're like loudmouths. They just kind of like to talk and they're like, and they that's kind of like my thing. I'm like a teacher and I, but other people it's going to be one-on-one, you know, or it's going to be about creating art. It's going to be about turning your story into poetry, or it's going to be about, you know, go, showing up at the meetings and doing the volunteer work and connecting. I like a model where um, people go, you go to the, you um, to the uh, meeting for getting out the vote. You're, you're trying to get this candidate or that candidate. You're trying to get Bernie Sanders. I was a big Bernie Sanders supporter. And you go to the meeting and everybody goes around and you raise your hand. You say, yeah, my name, is, my name is Jason. My name is Will. I'm here. I'm diagnosed. And then you come out. And then all these people are like, wow, they've never heard that before. And then someone comes to you in the break. and They're like, hey, you know, I'm diagnosed too, but I would be too afraid. That's the movement. Yes. that's the social movement that's what that's the really the heart of it um and then it just goes from there you know it goes from there
2: hey there all you mammals and martians this is prof from the oddball show if you've been tuning into our preposterous podcast and like what you've been hearing why not pop over to itunes and leave us a review itunes not your thing well then come on over and follow us on spotify stitcher google play music and buzzsprout Learn more about who we are at oddballmagazine.com and jplineproductions.com. Link up with us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Send us a tasteful yet inspiring postcard, or just give us a holler in your nearest CB radio, good buddy. On behalf of Jason Wright and myself, thanks for listening to The Oddball Show, and stay tuned.
1: Well, that, that makes me feel good. Now, I, I'm looking at two people in, in this Zoom call. I'm looking at me, who's been on meds for 25 years, who looks like a ghost. I'm like looking at myself I'm like oh my god and look at Will he's all 10 everything's been off meds for like 15 years and I'm looking at myself and I'm like oh my god I look half dead and like Will over here is just like brimming with life and talking about how great everything is and I'm thinking like oh my god like I gotta get I gotta get like Will Hall
0: oh, man. <laughs> do not do that because I'm uh, there's a lot more go- there's a lot more behind the scenes when it comes to Will Hall I, I deal with a lot of shit now I deal with I deal with suicidal feelings, I have my demonic voices, I have a lot of stuff going well, on. I just
1: your story front, is, I mean, front
0: really well. I front really well. Okay. So well, don't yeah, idealize really it. well.
1: But your story, I mean, going back in, I mean what I'm saying is, I mean, they're they're seeing us on Facebook, they'll hear us on the podcast. Yeah. But if you don't know Will, Will's been uh Will the reason why I'm Saying this is because I'm currently on medications, and I've been on medications for a long time, and it's deteriorating my body. I can tell it. Uh, and and uh, Will was willful enough to get off of meds so long ago, and and created um, you know this huge edu- educating movement about harm reduction. Um, and I just I, that's why I it's it's so cool, and it's 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 cool but it's sad at the same time because it's like, and I'll, I'll just be honest with you. It's, it's cool because you did it and it's sad because I don't
0: think I could do it. Wow. Well, okay. So that there's a lot, there's a lot in there, but let me just say to you, man, um, to me, what recovery and health is about, it's about creativity. It's about making a contribution. And so, yeah, different people have health problems. And, but the fact that you are, putting yourself out there and creating this podcast and doing the magazine and doing what you do, to me, that also is a role model. That also is showing the way forward because that's what I want everybody to do. Whether they're on meds, whether they're on, not on meds, it's, it's their choice. So with what you said, I mean, you said a couple of things that were really important. One, you said you noticed that your body's deteriorating. And you also said you start to feel like the, the negatives outweigh the risks. And that's probably one of the first things that we have to do with a harm reduction approach to medications, you have to be honest that these drugs are toxic and they have serious side effects. And I'm not just talking about drop dry mouth and the occasional headache or nausea. I'm talking about, you can lose memory capacity. You can, you can lose your ability to read. You can use your sexual response. You can get serious um, heart condition. You can get diabetes. You can have brain injury brain damage, tardive dyskinesia. So that isn't, whole, when, when you're put on meds, especially if you have an experience like psychosis or schizophrenia or schizoaffective, the way that they see it is like, oh, wow, man, what you're going through is so terrible that we can basically give you anything and it's going to be better, but it's not true. It's a trade-off. And so I can't decide for you, like, what is the level of trade-off, but I can tell you that, um, you can start exploring it. And one of the often things that I'm, I'm telling people is look, if you got a doctor or a psych nurse or a psychiatrist who wants to help you great work with them, but don't let that stop you or slow you down because a lot of those professionals, it's all about covering themselves and their own fears and their, Oh my God, if Jason goes in the hospital, it's going to be on me. And no, you're, you're an adult. You make your own decisions. And, but a lot of, a lot of professionals don't take that perspective. So don't let the professionals slow you down or stop you many people take initiative themselves. Many people say, look, I got a plan. My partner's on my side. My family's on my side. My friends are on my side. And then you go into the doctor and you say, look, this is what I want to do. And you don't take no for an answer. And one of the things that I encourage people to do is is really think long and hard about um, your impulse to just throw the meds away. Because I get that impulse and I understand it. And I'm not going to tell you that it doesn't work because some, some people do just throw the meds away and they've got terrible side effects and they're just like, I'm done and they throw them away. But especially when you've been on the drugs long-term, you're talking 20 years, mm-hmm. brain changes. It's like imagining being on super powerful coffee every day for 20 years or being, being on uh, alcohol. People, you get, if you're on serious alcohol addiction, you cannot just throw the alcohol away. You, know, you have to think about the withdrawal effects of it. And sometimes the withdrawal effects, especially on like the benzodiazepines can be life-threatening. So one of the biggest um, withdrawal effects from the antipsychotics is that they can cause psychosis. So think about that for a second, That we're giving people drugs that cause the thing that we're giving them the drugs for. So that's very, very tricky because often someone comes into the ER and they're in a psychotic state or or a so-called psychotic state and then they do an interview and they and they realize that the person went off their meds. They went off their antipsychotics and then the doctor says, oh, well, of course, you just need to stay on your meds. No, actually the problem is that you went off too fast and the drugs caused the psychosis. So the solution to that for many people is to go slow. So what I often see people doing is that they, they say, okay, I'm gonna make a 10% reduction. I'm gonna make a 25% reduction. I'm gonna make a 5% reduction. You know, I'm on hundred milligrams. I'm gonna go to 95%. Milligrams. And they you maybe you can get a pharmacist that'll cooperate. Sometimes people get pill cutter or they can use a liquid version. And then they they notice, okay, 5%. I didn't notice anything. Two more weeks, a month. Okay, I'll go about it. Now I'm down 10%. You've been down 10% a month. You don't feel anything. Six weeks, "Ah, I'm gonna go down 20%, 20% now. Wham. Now you feel something. Now you're starting to withdraw. Now you're and you're in the driver's seat. You really need to start to work with. Um, becoming familiar with your re- reactions or responses because i don't care how how good your doctors they can't look inside of you there's no x-ray or stethoscope or you know it's scope exam they're going to do in your brain to find out you have to say look this is too much for me i can't do this or okay i'm gonna like write it out i'm gonna deal with these withdrawal effects and the key, the name of the game is for a lot of people finding a substitute and you know jason you probably already have your own toolkit of what does Jason do when he gets anxious? What does Jason do when he gets lonely? What does Jason do when he gets you know, suicidal or when he starts to feel overwhelmed or gets... And you've got to start building that toolkit. And often people need to do that before they start the reduction. And part of the toolkit is also having support. If your wife is against you coming off, if your parents are against you coming off, if your neighbor is against you coming off, if your doctor is against you coming off, if all of your friends are against you coming off, it's probably going to be harder to come off but if you do the work to get them on board and you say, look, I've got a plan, I've got a plan B. If I start to get anxious, I'm not just going to ring up the doctor. I'm going to start to deal with some tools for dealing with my anxiety, like talking about my feelings or you know, yelling in the car. I do a lot of yelling and screaming in my car. Um, going into nature, exercise is a good, having connection with other people, having a loving relationship, having some contribution that you can make in the world, all these are ways of dealing with anxiety that don't involve medications. Do you get taught them in hospitals? No. Does your doctor teach you? No, but you may need to develop those as an alternative. And then just slowly, slowly, slowly start to introduce more of those alternatives and less of the medication. And what people find is that their emotions start to come back. You may think of yourself as a super chill, under control person, but you start reducing your meds, you realize you got a lot of anger. And then you realize, wow, I got a lot of good reason to be angry. Part of which I've been on these meds for 10, 15, 20 years and no one told me, you know? And now you got to deal with your rage. Now you got to deal with your anger and you got to deal with your grief and you got to deal with your loneliness and you got to deal with your sense of loss. I mean, I was, I was on disability for 15 years, Jason. I, I was, that took a lot out of me. You know, it really held me back with my school, with my career, with my life. I was under this, like, I'm a mental patient. Something's wrong with me. I just need to be collecting a disability check. And I'm grateful for that check. And I support the disability system. And I'm glad that there was housing subsidy for me because I needed that space and that time, but not 15 years, man. I maybe needed it for four years, maybe three years. And I needed some kind of alternative, some kind of bridge. I didn't get any of that. So there's grieving involved as you start to come off. But the basic message that I give to people is, you know, Get some information about your medications, get some support for considering coming off, find out what the medications are for. Like some people like um, it's a sleep is the issue for them. They take the medications because every time they would, you know, go into a sleep deprivation thing, they would go into their manic state. We've got to learn how to deal with your sleep. If your paranoia is why you were taking the meds or the suicide, find out ways to work with that without the meds. And then slowly, slowly, slowly start to come off. But I tell you, man, even 20 years, 25 years, I'm, I'm doing a, a PhD at, at a university in, in Netherlands. And we did a, a survey of about 3,500 people who tried to come off, and about 2,000 who successfully came off of antipsychotics in their meds. And we, we searched through the data and we looked for people who were on antipsychotics for more than 25 years. And there, there are, they're there. We have about 65 people who were able to come off. I've met people who were able to come off after 25 years on antipsychotics. I, I bet some of the people who are listening to this know people or themselves or someone in their community has come off. And if, if you have come off, sometimes you just go hide. You don't want to be involved with mental health. You don't tell the story. Yeah, I was on antipsychotics for 25 years because everyone's going to be afraid of you. It's because there's so much stigma, but there are people out there. So Jason, no one can predict what your story is going to be. You have to figure it out. Maybe you start to come off, you come off 10%, you come off 25%. Maybe you're now at 50%. Whoa, it's a roller coaster. You've got a lot of emotions. How do I do? But you're doing okay. And then you decide, you know, I want to just stay at 50%. That's my goal. I'm not going to go off completely. That's the harm reduction approach. We don't judge people. We don't. Maybe you go for it. Maybe you're able to get off completely. But oh my God, your life is such a roller coaster. There's so Mm -hmm. much intense emotions. You can't do your podcast. It's too much. And then you decide to go back on, but you go on a much smaller dose. Now, the end result is that your life has improved. You're taking less medications. You feel more in control. You got maybe some less of the side effects. So the whole harm reduction approach is not about being on meds bad, being off meds good. It's Mm -hmm. about how do we meet somebody where they're at and help them improve their life by having more empowerment. That's the heart of it for me is, is being able to make your own choices, your own decision, rather than some doctor saying you're schizo. You need to be on these, these drugs forever. No, let me figure that out. Let me come to that through my own process of exploration.
1: Wow. Um, I think it's incredibly uh, uh, thought provoking uh, to think just in, in in general that I could possibly ever um, come off. But the thing is what I was thinking while I was listening was that last sentence you made at the end was meeting someone where they're at, right. Mm-hmm. Or or yeah. I mean, basically what it sounds like is maybe there is a, a point of needing medication, but maybe there's a point of knowing exactly where you need to be on meds instead of some people are just way too over medicated. And, and I, and I, I, I work as a peer support specialist. So I see a lot of people who are, uh, in the mental health, in the grips of mental health, they're they're having a tough time, and and I and and I, I think I'm in I'm in recovery from from that, but I I mean of course I <laughs> I still have difficulty going to a restaurant, will so let's just say I'm not like we're not like saying I'm a hundred percent here, but what <laughs> or a concert, you know you don't you don't want to see me at a concert, um, and I have a hard time
0: sometimes in public myself, so
1: yeah, so I guess what I'm getting at is. Um, I lost my train of thought. Let me tell you this, this, uh, let me tell you this, uh, what you're saying. It's hard to imagine yourself coming off meds. It's hard to imagine because, well, two reasons why one, I I'm sure there's going to be a part of coming off meds. That is just like totally terrible. Like just, just a total terrible moment. I, I know that if I miss a med for like a day, um, or even for an hour, uh, you know, like if my, if my, if my supposed yep. to take my Vistral at five thirty, and I take it at seven o'clock, wow. you know, you know what I mean?
0: So yeah, yeah. there's a dependence that comes. Cause if you uh, get, you get hooked yeah. on a, on an addictive drug and you don't take it, you don't have that caffeine in the morning. Yeah. You get the withdrawal. It's the same principle. Absolutely. That's information. You know, you don't want to just stop taking, you want to maybe come off gradually because it's overwhelming, but yeah, it's not, I mean, a lot of people. There are people that are like, it's easier. Usually it's people who haven't been on very long. They haven't been on a very big dose. They haven't gone on multiple meds. But yeah, I mean, a lot of people say, well, you know, I I decided to go through the withdrawal. You know, I was suicidal for a while. I was, you know, I was really massively depressed. I couldn't get out of bed for a month. People report that. Six months. They're like, but they're like, look, I'm just going to. And they start to get a little bit of an indication. I feel a little bit better today. I feel a little bit. I feel... I feel good because I feel like it's detoxing. I feel like it's, and they get kind of like signposts on the way. And if you have those, then you make the decision, but it's up to you. Because if you decide, if you start to come off, you're like, man, this is horrible. I want to stay on. That's your journey. Yeah. That's your process. I'm going to support that
1: but maybe it's finding the right balance. And then once you're on that right balance, and then maybe it's, it's, it's trying a little harder to, to go a little lower. One of the, one of the things is that I'm worried about is, you know, I have a, a lovely, lovely family, you know, a, a wife uh, who's gone through all, you know, my, my whole family has gone through so much having to deal with the mental for dealing with, I don't know. Let's see. Yeah. Uh, well, let's see, I'm, fit, I'm 40 now and, uh, my family has been dealing with my mental health since I was 15 years old. So there's been multiple hospitalizations and stuff like that. And shit hasn't always been gravy for, for real. Um, So, you know, God bless my, my wife for, for, you know, being with me. She's, she's an incredible uh, support, but at the same time, I don't want to uh, be like completely terrible around someone when I'm coming off of meds. So how do you, um, how, how does the family deal with something like this? How does the family deal with um, someone yeah. knowing someone's willingly going through, I mean, hey, they're going through hell coming off these men.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, I would, I would say, let's all talk. Let's get together and talk. You know, you need you and me. And if I was doing counseling with you all or peer support, I would say, invite your, your wife in. Let's talk about it. What are her fears? Because the reality is that, again, it's like, it's not an individual thing. Mental health crises happen to communities. It's like a it's like an explosion, and the blast waves go out. The people who are close, the family members, people at coworkers, friends, all of us get affected. And when someone is in a hospital, that that can be traumatic.
2: You Again. know,
0: so, so medication isn't just it doesn't just help the person who's taking the meds. It helps the the people around that person to feel safer. Like oh, they're safe. They're taking their meds. And so having those deep conversations. And, and, and getting everybody on the same page. Because one of the things that's hardest is when there's a power struggle, like the son wants to come off, but mom and dad don't want them to come off. And then it, you really, it's not about meds, it's about power and are you going to listen to me and are we equals here? So you want to kind of really bring everybody in who, who can't, I mean, ultimately it's your body and your consciousness and your choice. So I totally respect that. But if you're concerned about the impact that it's going to have, then I would say, let's talk, because your wife might say, well, you know, I'm willing to sacrifice a little bit, but I'm not willing to sacrifice this much. Like, I really need you to be there for childcare. And then you would say like, well, what if I need to take two weeks off? And then she would say, that's okay. And then you would say, well, what if I need to take a month off? She's like, oh, a months too long. And then you go from there and then, you know, going in, like, look, I'm gonna to tough it out I'm gonna show up show up for my family I'm gonna show up for my children but if I need to take two weeks off I've got that in my back pocket and then I can lean on that but then if I start to feel like that's not enough you know maybe I need to increase my meds again. Yeah. so conversations like that but everybody's got their own process I mean some people it's about family some people it's just it's just flat out economics like they just cannot afford. To come off to take time off of work because they're gonna yeah. go down they're gonna live in their car so yeah keep taking those drugs man if that's what helps you get the paycheck to stay right off the streets then yeah let's work let's figure out some other ways to help you improve your life and improve your health and then the meds maybe is is step four you got these other steps before that you know so can, that's can again harm to... reduction approach
1: yeah harm reduction right. Now, say you're on an, uh, an antipsychotic, uh, a, a mood stabilizer, and like an anti anxiety yeah. and like a side effect med. I'm just saying, I'm
0: not saying it's me. First of all, it's terrible. It's like, say a, you're on
1: all, you're, you're like, you're on a med, med for your mood, you're on one for your voices, you're on a med for whatever, uh, whatever you're on for. Would it does it make sense to just take one down and then keep the other ones? Or is it does it make sense to take them all like down like at the same time? Good
0: good question. Good question. There's people right now saying, "Well, you know, I, 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 my drinking of alcohol is out of control. My smoking of weed is out of control, and I keep uh, getting high on coke every weekend. Which one should I cut out first? You know, I mean, it's like, who knows? I mean, can you really decide which is going to be I mean, in a situation like that, my first reaction is like, wow, these are completely quack doctors that are thinking that this drug targets the voices, this tra- drug targets the anxiety. It's, they're just, it's like they, they, you come to the doctor and you're asking for a tool and they're looking at their toolbox and they're thinking, yeah, I got a lot of tools. Hammer, 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 hammer. <laughs> they got one thing to hit you with and that's drugs. They don't have any training with communication. They don't have any training with therapy. They're just going to give you drugs and they're going to give you with this whole like atmosphere of authority. So that's madness. Now, if someone is on multiple drugs, sometimes I'll say, well, like, which, which drug do you feel like isn't doing anything? And often the person knows like, Oh, I started this drug just because the doctor said I didn't feel like it helped. And I, it made me worse because I got this new side effect. Then that's typically the one you might start with. But this is, I mean, the research and some, cause I'm starting to study this in my PhD program, the research also doesn't know there is no algorithm. There's no like recipe. It's very individual, you know? And so some people, they reduce all their meds proportionally at the same time. Some people, they want to have that anxiety anti-anxiety drug as a backup. So they don't want to be messing with that as they reduce their um, antipsychotic. So everybody has a different story. And there's an idea that a a brain is like a is like a combustion engine that there's just a basic design no way the mind is super creative like crazy creative i mean there's an example that i give is that there's this guy you can look this up it was it was a gentleman who came in for some kind of complaint and he was completely normal he had a job he had a normal by normal standards right the job wife he's in society you know he's got his family he's part of society they did a scan of his brain, an x-ray of his brain. He was missing 90% of his brain tissue. Oh, wow. 90% of the guy's brain is gone and he's still like functioning normally in society. What does that tell you? It tells you that the human mind is totally creative and brains are totally different. And the idea that one brain is this and it's just the model for everything. So um, we have incredible diversity in our personalities and our individualities and our way we think. And we're gonna have incredible diversity in our responses and our relationship to these drugs and in the way that we come off of them. I mean, I, I, I did interview with someone on Madness Radio who was on like six drugs and came off of them cold turkey, but that was her. And she was like, she couldn't leave her house for six months. That was her choice. That was her strategy. Other people like they come off one drug and they come slowly off of these others. And again, it's like what I can do and what we can do as a community is that we can be together. We can help the person not be alone with this process. We can respect them and not judge them and try and stay close and help them make the best decision that, that they can.
1: That's great, that's great. I, um, I feel like now's a good time to t- take a break. I feel like we've been talking now for a while. I don't even remember, I, I pretty much lost track. Well, uh, the, the, the this conversation has been so impactful. Um, that I just totally lost track of how long we've been talking for. Um, I think we pretty much covered everything about that. The one thing I do want to say before we go into break is just a quick story about how bad psych meds were for me. Um, I, at one point, you know, actually, you know, is it worth saying this story? I don't know who I guess so. Why not? This might help somebody. So I was on a medication called Vralar. It was a medication that was brand new, just that I, I was told that it would work really well. Well, some meds work different for other people. I started hearing voices. I wasn't being able to sleep. I was seeing visions. Mm -hmm. Um, I was hearing the voice of my dead nephew. Like some some serious shit. I went Mm -hmm. to a. a, 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 I was hearing the voices of all sorts of like people, and uh, I thought I was just interacting with people. My energy was all over the place. It was it was it was crazy. Mm -hmm. Now, that was the weekend. Now the next day I go into my work and I'm a peer support specialist. I go into work and I am looking at um, my phone and I'm drinking a coffee. And all of a sudden my brain just breaks. It just breaks. I don't know how to use my phone anymore. I don't know how to zip my jacket. I start crying and I'm a, I'm a peer support specialist. I'm a professional and I start like crying. Like what is wrong with me? Mm -hmm. I end up going into the hospital Mm. And I start end up talking like I start talking like as if I was like a kindergartner or like a first grader. And my brain literally was thinking in non script mm-hmm. sentences like I I am in I'm in, I'm in trouble. Hope my brain work better pretty soon. I hope I get better real well. I wrote six poems about it um, while I was in the psych war in the in the emergency room waiting for it. Um, this this pill broke brain. If I ever come back, please let know that this real pill broke brain. Really scary shit, you know. And then I went in the hospital. Um, and the reason I tell the story is because it, it might help somebody. It, it just it might, I don't know. It might help someone who's on a on a medication that doesn't agree with them. Cause someone, because I know another person's taking it, they're like, Oh, it's great, I'm doing great, I'm getting my masters. This yeah. one messed with me. So um when I was in the hospital, my brain broke and I just couldn't stop it from thinking. And it was going faster and faster and faster and faster. And I have this thing called that I really have a propensity that people can hear my thoughts when, when they're out of control. I don't know how it works, but it does. It's called thought broadcasting. I've experienced it a bazillion times in my life. Mm. So the reason I'm saying this is because, you know, if anyone's ever experienced this before, it's, it's freaking terrifying. Um, But the long and the short of it was it was the worst hospital stay I ever had in my life. Mm. I, and I tried to hurt myself in the hospital, which I'd never done that before. And I felt so unsafe. And that was not my fault. I was fine before I took a medication that did that. Right. So that is my story. And we're going to go to break right now. Well, oh, actually, well, what, what do you think of that
0: story? I, I want to say, I want to say, repeat that story 10,000, 100,000, 500,000 times. So many people have a similar story of a medication made them worse or plunged them into suicide or threw them into some kind of wild psychotic or spiritual or out of control or overwhelming nightmarish state. And typically they don't get believed. I mean, I I believe you because I've seen it and the solution is to get the person off that drug. Yeah. Not like, Oh, I got off
1: of it. I had to get off it. And unfortunately I went on to a medication that like, they're like, this medication is going to make you gain a lot of weight and you should get off it as soon as you get out of the hospital. Thanks. Right, That's yep. what they said. They literally said that. They, and then I stopped going to that doctor. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. yeah and and I mean, sure. it's intoxication. I mean, it, people have different relationships to drugs. We know everybody has a their own relationship to cannabis or alcohol or different drugs. They have different responses. And people have different re- reactions. They've got different relationships. Nothing is wrong with you. It's just this, you introduce this drug into your body and you have a response and you need to respect and honor what your body is telling you and whatever the reason was to take it in the first place. It's a very heavy duty, super risky thing to take an antipsychotic. You want to start with other things. If You're having problems with voices. Don't start with an antipsychotic, you know, try and understand what the problem is and try and get some kind of alternatives in place. These are, these are extremely dangerous, very toxic drugs of last resort. In, in, in my ideal world, they wouldn't even exist because we would have alternatives and sanctuaries and places that people could stay and people that would have time to support people. And um, But uh, the big problem is that the person gets blamed rather than seeing that the drug is the problem. And there's no alternatives. Well,
1: you know why the, the person gets blamed, right? It's because they start acting out of character, um they think all of a sudden they're you know i mean what is character right but you know whenever it it happens it's like this person's starting to act strange they're acting off of their baseline whatever you want to call that Mm -hmm. but they're acting not themselves whatever that means and then all of a sudden people push you towards the hospital push you towards the medications they push you away um from you know uh from i don't know exploring it and more like just Get it out of it. Get, get whatever it is out of you. Yeah. Get rid of it. You know,
0: um, Rather than being curious about it and what's this about. And we live in a digital world where people are on their phones all the time. That baseline is, is being quantified. Everyone has a digital signature of this is how much time you're online. This is the kind of things you look at. This is your sleep patterns. As soon as that goes off, that can start to throw a red flag. Oh, this person's having a manic episode. This person yep. is depressed. This person. So we're moving into a the normal baseline is actually going to be technologically surveilled. We're moving into a world where normalcy is actually measured and then enforced in this through through the language of compassion and we want to care for people, but actually it's all about control and promoting drugs as the only as the only option for people. And um, that's not a world I want to live in. That's not the direction I want us to go. And I want. Someone starts to act off of baseline, something's going on. There's a reason. Yeah. And yeah. Maybe they're having a food allergy. Maybe they moved into an apartment with black mold. I don't know, but something, maybe memories of childhood abuse came up. I don't know what it is, but you don't just say, oh, you fit the criteria for schizophrenia. Hey, we have a solution. It's this it's, it's antipsychotic. It's just like if you have a fever, you take this drug to bring the fever down. If you have psychosis, you take this pill to bring the psychosis down. Sorry, that's not how the mind and emotions. Work people freak out for reasons, and they're often very, very good reasons. If you can get inside their reality with them and start to explore, like, what what is going on? What, why is this person going through this? Um, so this is this is a great time to break.
1: Well, um, I think, uh, you know, while I'm while I'm breaking, real quick, I just want to, <laughs> I feel like there's, I think in the second segment we should go into. I'm going to tell you about uh, when I first started taking meds and then we'll go into that segment and then we'll go into maybe how you started taking meds and what was going on with you at the time. But yeah. I want to show everybody who's listening, you got to get this book. It's called the harm reduction guide to coming off of psychiatric drugs. Um, will, uh, Will Hall, uh, you can get it at will hall. Will um, uh will
0: willhall.net. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, um, Hold on, let me. I'm gonna share the. Oh, I don't see it. Free, um,
0: fully free to download. 14. Yeah, it's
1: fully free to download at at um, uh, Will Hall's website. You you gotta you gotta check this out. It's fully free. There's another. You can also get uh, not only um, harm reduction guide to coming off of um, psychiatric drugs and withdrawal, which is a, a valuable, uh, invaluable thing to read. It's a free book download. So, I mean, the, if you're on meds and you're struggling, at least check, check out this book. I mean, it might help you out. Um, and if someone and it's just an interesting way of looking at it, that you're not tethered by meds. And a lot of people just think that they're just totally, um, you know, mm-hmm. that it's just that once you're on meds, you're on meds. And, and I think that's uh, uh, so check out uh, willhall.net and you can get his book, Harm Induction Guide to Coming Off Psychiatric Drugs. Um, So now I'm going to take, I'm going to shift gears for a second and I'm going to talk about what's going on with Oddball Magazine. So this is what's going on with Oddball Magazine. Let's see, on Friday, we'll start with Friday because this is a Monday. Friday we had the podcast with uh, artist advocate uh, Lloyd Kaufman, um, who's famous for Toxic Avenger. Um, that's available that, that's available on all of Apple networks, on Buzzsprout, on uh, um, Stitcher Radio, iHeartRadio, iHeart all those things. Uh, we also had a poem by Barka Shaw, um, and we had a, a comic strip from Jeffrey Fallon, The Secrets of Skinny People. And also, um, we had a poem by uh, Lori Rosen with artwork from uh, uh, Paul M. Peterson. And um on Friday we had our awesome column Wise Words with Bruce Wise. On Thursday, we had Janet Cormier's Bamboozled No More. On uh, this was a good one. On Thursday, we had feedback with Lizzie Von Teague as well as the Underground Garden uh of Liza's eyes. You gotta check out these these uh poems. They're all um they're all our columnists. And then we had a great poem by RK Singe. Um and uh that's pretty much what's going on with us. If you want and you want to um, learn more about us, you can check out oddballmagazine.com and you can also uh, check out our new Oddball Foundation. Um, we are hard at work b- bringing the Oddball Foundation to light. It's advocacy through art, um, helping, out, um, helping out and creating supportive communities through mental health advocacy. Um, and you know, if you would like to donate, you can donate um, at our website and you can also check out um, the Oddball Foundation where we have our uh, mission statement where you can read all about what our mission statement is, why we created the, the, the Oddball Foundation and everything that goes on into Uh, creating our oddball foundation, Uh, a lot of cool stuff. And then also upcoming November 30th, we are going to be doing our free workshop called the future, no future workshop uh, presented by oddball magazine. And that's going to be on Monday. That is free to the public. Just got to buy a, buy a ticket. So you don't zoom bomb us and we know you're coming and you don't zoom bomb us. So um, that's November 30th. Um so check out uh what's going on with Oddball Magazine and we are back with Will
0: Hall. Will. Yeah, great. Hey. How's it great going? Magazine. Great magazine, man. Great initiative. Thank you. Yeah, there's
1: there's it's a there's it's a labor of love. There's a lot of good stuff going on. There's a lot of community, a lot of artists, a lot of uh poets, advocates, photographers, musicians, comic strip writers. Um mm-hmm. uh, a lot of people uh put together the magazine it, it did come from well actually this is this is a good segment so when i was 15 years old same time when i started oddball magazine i um i was dealing with a couple things what people would say is childhood trauma right i was bullied a little mm-hmm. bit um mm-hmm. picked on sure um dealt with this dealt with that but what ended up happening was I? What ended up happening to to begin my med journey was my dad had read a book called "Driven to Distraction," and he oh. thought, "Look, this is you. Look, oh my God, this is you." Mm. Um, yeah. So at the end of the at the end of the uh, the the podcast today, I'm going to read a poem I wrote the day I was riddled, and that was mm. the day that everything began the day that i was given uh uh, a medication called like like ritalin like uh literally speed to a 15 year old ended up when i i mean yeah i might have i got it so i could because my i thought i had adhd i don't know i didn't know what it was i was like adhd sure yeah i have it they're gonna give me this pill to help me study for math class yeah okay yeah and and unfortunately that you know, I mean, at the same time, you know, there's, there's other drugs involved, you know, but the, the, the fact is, you know, it all starts with a chemical and then they say, you know, you don't have a chemical imbalance. Um, and, and I feel like you, I mean, I feel like you don't have chemical imbalance until you add chemicals in your body. So when you're adding any chemical to your body, right. then now you have a chemical imbalance,
0: right? Right, right. You
1: know? So tell me a little bit about your story about, um, you know, where were, where were okay, so I was 15 when I first started my med journey. Were you yeah. around that age when it's, when you started as well?
0: No, that was, um, so I'm a little bit older than you. I'm 54. And I think I kind of dodged the bullet on that because the cultural shift wasn't quite there yet in terms of medicating children as much as they're medicated today. And I, I should say that, you know, I'm, I'm pro-choice about medications. I'm not pro-choice about medicating kids. You shouldn't medicate kids. And, Not at all. No, and I, I understand that, that parents are in trouble and parents are in our face, really difficult support, uh, difficult challenges, because kids can be really hard to deal with when they have so-called behavioral problems, but the kid doesn't have a choice. So, um, so that's a complicated issue. And I'm sorry that that, that happened to you because it did riddle It is speed. It's, it's oral speed and pill form wrapped in all these messages that it's a pharmaceutical, but um, Adderall is the same as amphetamine and Ritalin is is just a stimulant. So for me, you know, when I was 15, I was definitely having a lot of emotional behavioral struggles and difficulties. And I I called it depression, but looking back, it it was trauma. I mean, I was dissociated. I was stricken with shame. I was shut down emotionally and in a a family environment. I love my parents. I don't blame them but it was neglect. There was no, like, you have an emotion, we're going to support you around your emotion. There's no like, Oh, you have a deep emotional need. We're going to help you meet your deep emotional need. It was all much more superficial and control. And my parents were both really big trauma survivors. So they had, they just had their plates were full with their own emotional, their own emotional problems and chaos, a lot of chaos in the family. So I I had at 15, I was definitely having a lot of struggles, but it wasn't until I think 23 that I started on meds and um, you know, I had, I was struggling and all I knew was that this is my depression. That was the word that I learned to call it. I had been in therapy, no therapist had ever really been able to connect with me. So I went to this place called the Bay Area Depression Treatment Center. And my therapist gave me a a referral to a doctor. I went into the doctor and this very same meeting with the doctor, he gave me a free sample. Of Prozac. And I started taking Prozac and Prozac was, it was like everything I wanted a drug to be. It was like the, 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 best cup of coffee I'd ever had in my life. I mean, I was so happy on Prozac. I was just happy. And I was just, and I got high on Prozac and I, and I got manic I was having a manic reaction on the Prozac. And at the time, I think this is more known now, because if you look in the black box warning and you look on the inserts with it'll says that a manic reaction is associated with Prozac we know that's true of all the antidepressants they can cause mania they can also cause suicidal feelings but I didn't know at the time and so I just I went into outer space man I was acting really weird I lost my big career job which I was under a lot of pressure I don't want to put it entirely on the Prozac but I had this wild delusion that I was just going to like you know be fine without a job and of course when I left the job Eventually the Prozac started to stop, stop working, which they call Prozac poop out, which is like, actually it's because of drugs. No drug just keeps working forever. Eventually it stops drug working because it's a drug. So the Prozac stopped working, but now I don't have a drop. Now I don't have a job. And now I've lost all those professional contacts and I've lost some of my friends. So now I have this whole layer of shame plus poverty. And I just started to spiral down. I mean, that was how I went in. That's how I went into the system. You know, and so um, I wasn't given any kind of protection. There was no like, hey, take this drug, but watch out. We're gonna monitor your monitor you carefully. You know, I I thought that I was. You know, I had a chemical imbalance. I thought that I kind of I met the criteria. I thought it was a good thing. I I was like, great. I'm gonna take this take this drug. They're gonna find it. They're gonna find out. They found out what's wrong with me. They're gonna fix it. So now I'm just gonna be fixed because no one wants to walk. No one wants to walk around in life with a your broken leg that's not set. You want to get your leg set so it can heal. So I thought I was setting my broken leg. I was doing a responsible medical thing. And then I, years, I just, I just continued to spiral down after that. I mean, I, you know, I, I, eventually I was so down that I was in a, in a really deep, dark altered state. I would look out, out the back balcony of our house. And I thought I saw all these people watching me and they would all drop down. Oh, wow. And I would see rats running around. And, and I was so afraid of my roommates. So I would go in and out of the, of the window. Cause I didn't, cause my days and nights were so backwards. I was a lot. Looking back, it was a lot of shame, a lot of hiding. And I would go into, I would go into a cafe and this was all in San Francisco. i would go into a restaurant or shop or something. And I would I would, people could know what I was thinking and they were trying to hurt me and they were tracking me. And I was, So I was, and I thought that the devil was trying to communicate with me through a postcard. And so I was in really bad, bad shape, but try different meds, try new meds. And then eventually I just got swept up into the psych system um, on grounds of, well, he's suicidal and we were, we were protecting, you know, no, they weren't. I mean, if someone's suicidal, you care for them, you listen to them, you sit with them, you don't put them in restraints and then put them in a, emergency room, that just added to my trauma, added to my overwhelm. And I learned, you know, I learned what a lot of people who have suicidal feelings learn. Don't talk about it. Don't talk about your suicidal feelings with professionals because they're going to lock you up. That's the opposite message. We should be sending the message that there are safe places to talk about your suicidal feelings, that you're not going to be punished or locked up. And if they had said to me, like, look, Will, do you want to go to the hospital? Do you want to be in a safe place? I would have considered it, but there was no collaboration there was no respect there was no empowerment for me and for, for trauma survivors choice and control and empowerment are really crucial because that's what you lose when you're traumatized when you're when you're violated in trauma where it's abuse or violence you lose choice and you lose control and so regaining it even in small ways is really super important so the system just re-traumatized me mm-hmm. and, and again harm reduction approach. I mean, I work with people, I have people in my life, they choose to go into the hospital or they end up in the hospital, they have a positive experience. So I respect that. But basically the the hospital system is like a, it's like a broken product. It's like, if you, if you were selling chainsaws that, you know, nine out of time, tens, the chainsaw works perfectly, but one out of 10 times the chain snaps off and slices someone's arm off, you would get that chainsaw off the market. 10% 10% risk of major injury is too high, you know? So the risk of hospitalizations, traumatizing people is too high. The risk of these drugs is way too high. They're, they're broken products. They're not safe products, even though some people can use them safely. Some people do find benefit from them. We have to start promoting alternatives.
1: to these. Yeah. So um, I know we've been talking about this a lot and this is, this is a very passionate subject, but I just want to like to the listeners, to yeah. people with mental health issues, this is where I, I'm gonna I'm gonna make a blanket statement. They say that people with mental health issues will live a shorter life than someone who doesn't have a mental health issue. I I'm gonna challenge that and say, I think it's not because of the mental health issue, but it's because of the psych meds and the the health issues that cause the problems yeah. that cause from the psych meds that cause a shorter lifespan. I think that you can live a very good life and have bipolar depression, schizophrenia, schizoaffective, OCD, ADD, whatever. I think that these medications, unfortunately, are slowly killing people. And I know that's really dramatic, but I I, I truly feel like when you see statistics uh, Mm of mental health survivors versus people who've died much and who become statistics from uh you know being a a mental health Mm -hmm. statistics i really do think it is not the i don't think it's the mental health i think it's actual the causes i think it's the it's the 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 i mean the cure i think it's the cures that are causing the people to die uh, early Mm -hmm. age from diabetes from metabolic syndrome from all these kind of things Mm-hmm. um I, I was walking around with a zyprexa belly which is like a beer belly but it's a zyprexa belly it's it's, it's literally you have it from from antipsychotic meds you know because they they just pack on the pounds no. i'm not saying that i'm totally anti-med because i have to take meds i have to say that i hate medications because i have to take meds but at no. the same time i'm talking to you will hall i i'm talking to i'm going to work 40 hours a day, I'm sleeping at night and I'm doing all the right things Possibly because of those meds, possibly because I've learned how to adjust. But what I'm looking at is that there is, there's just, um, just, I don't know if listeners realize that there's a statistic there that say that if you have a mental illness, you might live 20 years less than someone who doesn't. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that that could be challenged. If you figure out how mm-hmm. to live a life sans medication,
0: yeah, I mean, there's a lot. There's a lot of evidence that the, the medication is really the driving factor in that lower life expectancy. But there's also suicide. There's other factors, and the one of the ways to think about it um, is is like this. So back, uh, it used to be that being gay or being bisexual was considered a disease, a mental disease. And people were literally tortured to death by psychiatrists because they were seen as disease because they were gay or lesbian or bi. And that was how psychiatry operated up through the seventies, you know, and um, that changed. But before psychiatrists, they would interview gay people and they would say, look, you know, gay people have a higher rate of suicide. Gay people have a higher rate of depression. Gay people have a higher rate of anxiety. Gay people have a high rate of, 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 uh, of, of addiction. So clearly, obviously being gay is a mental illness, right? But now we know that actually it wasn't being gay, it wasn't being different that was causing all those emotional distress. We know it was homophobia. It's the society's reaction. So what I see is that a lot of people who get these labels of bipolar or schizophrenia or even depression or OCD or whatever, there's the experience, but then wrapped around the experience is the social reaction to it. People are afraid of the experience. They stigmatize the experience. They run away from the experience. People get isolated. People get driven into a corner. And just like homophobia drove that emotional distress, it wasn't being different. You know, That was the reason why people are more suicidal or more prone to addiction. That's nothing to do with being gay, like nothing to do with being gay it's the society's reaction. So all these things that we're talking about, let's say someone has uh, a a so-called bipolar mania, right? Now, what I could tell somebody is like, look, you could be a shaman, you could be an artist, you could be just a very creative person and you're also very finely tuned. If you're you're a very finely tuned violin and if you are delicately tuned, you're gonna produce incredible sounds. But if you're not, it's gonna be screeching, it's gonna be horrible, so you gotta learn how to tune. And the way you're going to learn how to tune is by dealing with your sleep issues. Now, someone like that might not have any problem at all because they can just live with their creative difference. They're different. Someone who hears voices, another good example. People who hear voices, they get they think, Oh my God, you know, the voices is, is I'm I'm mentally ill, I'm schizophrenic, I've got to get rid of the voices. Well, maybe being hearing a voice is part of your creativity, maybe it's part of your spirituality. Do you know that most people who hear voices don't have any problem? People don't even know that. They think that auditory hallucinations is a sign of schizophrenia. The vast majority of people hear voices, hear voices of someone who is deceased, or they hear they're a writer, a creative or a poet who hears voices, or they hear voices. as part of their spiritual practice. They hear the voice of God, or they hear the voice of someone when they're, and so if we tell people you're schizophrenic, you're ill, we need to you know keep you medicated and keep a watch on you, it's going to terrify the person. If we tell the person, hey, you're different, Gay people are different. You know, not everybody's gay. Not everybody hears voices. You're different. Not everybody is susceptible to going into wild, manic states when you, when you don't get sleep. You're different. And it's okay to be different. It's yeah. okay to be different. You're not crazy because you're different. You're just different. And welcome to the mystery of being human. You know, you're not crazy. You're different. You're more sensitive. You're more um, interested in this. You're more focused. I mean, I can remember the days that autistic people, oh my God, you're autistic. No, you're a monster. Let's keep Now autism is, we have a big cultural shift around so-called autism. First of all, it's a spectrum. It's incredibly diverse. And basically the autistic community is saying, hey, wake up. I don't have to make eye contact. I don't have to follow your, your cues. I don't have to be interested in the stupid stuff that you're interested in when you're making small talk. I'm my own reality over here. I don't make contact. I focus on stuff. I get really obsessed with certain kinds of things. I act weird. Get over it. Get used to my difference. That's exactly what the gay community said. We're here. We're not going away. Get used to us. We've Guess how much success the gay community has had? Tremendous success by saying we're not going away. We're not diseased. We're not going to change. This is who we are. We want society to fit for us. We don't want to change to fit into society. That's what we need to do with all these things that get called madness, mental health. And I'm I'm talking about the painful ones. I'm talking about suicidal feelings. I'm talking about scary voices. I'm talking about people who get really, really withdrawn. Well, we need to respect that and say that this person is different. They need support. They need to be welcomed in the, into the human, human community and given the kinds of support that they need rather than seen as a monster and pushed out. Society needs to change. We need to be able to have People say, yeah, I hear voices and I'm going to work with you. I'm going to be your friend. I'm going to be in your community. I'm going to be part of your, you know, yeah, I sometimes have suicidal feelings. Get used to it because for me, living on the edge and taking risks and being 100% dedicated, do you know how many artists will tell you if they don't create their art, they're going to kill themselves? How many writers tell you, yeah, I sit down to write every day because if I didn't, I would shoot myself. That's normal for some people. And we need to accept that, that you can be normal and have these abnormal experiences. We need to accept that it's okay to cut. You know, I I knew somebody, I'm just thinking specifically of one person because I know many people who cut. She was cutting really intense scars, really scary scars. That was her way of dealing with the domestic violence with her boyfriend. And hey, that's okay. If you want to cut, people tattoo. They got people tattooed all over their arms, you know? Why are you judging someone for cutting? And then you go into a tattoo parlor which is basically an electric blade slicing into your flesh. And we need to really rethink how we see normalcy because we made a, we made a huge mistake with gay, lesbian and bisexual people and a huge mistake with trans people. We tortured and murdered so many people just because they were different being left-handed. People used to be beaten and forced to use their right hand because they were left-handed. And now it's like, we, we wouldn't even imagine that. And we're slowly getting to a point where we can't even imagine, like most of us I hope, where we can't even imagine judging people because they're gay, lesbian or bisexual because they're trans. That's where we need to go with these so-called madness, mental health difference. Because you know so many of these experiences are just absolutely, can be welcomed. If we make the society change, if we understand that creative people Like how many creative people go through a huge push. They write that short story and then it's like they give birth and then boom, now they're in a deep depression. He just, he just dropped his killer album and now he's suicidally depressed because he's never going to be able to make another album and he's suicidally depressed and he's suicidally depressed and he stays with it. He goes down, he stops eating or she or whoever it is and they do it suicidally depressed. And then one morning, my next album. And we know that depression can be part of a creative cycle. We know if we just accept it as normal for some people and we welcome it, it can be part of that normal. Not everybody goes through that creative cycle. Some people do. But guess what? I cannot, and I've, I've asked people, can you think of any mental health symptom that couldn't also just be normal and accepted and welcomed as part of human diversity? I haven't, I haven't found one. So really what I think we're doing is we're doing exactly what we did to gay and lesbian and bisexual people. We said, you're different, we're afraid of you, we don't understand you, so we're gonna make you change and we're gonna tell you you're sick and if you don't like it, we're gonna torture you and kill you. That's basically what we're doing on a mass scale. And we've got the whole psychiatric industry and the whole mental health industry backing it up. But guess what? Science can be wrong. Back in the days when we tortured lesbian and queer people, lesbian, and queer people, science said, oh yeah, no, this is the right thing to do. They're really sick. And you're, you're doing a really good, good job and you're doing a service. Well, every kind of oppression always has science to back it up. Back in the days when women were denied the right to vote, I mean, a lot of people don't even remember this because I mean, it was before our time, but it was real. I mean, women were not given the right to vote. Oh, sorry, they're too emotional. They menstruate. They get. How can you have? How can you make rational decisions about your politicians when you have all these emotional? You're you're too busy childcare. You're too busy with child rearing. You're with the children. You need to kind of be with the children. You're not like all these rationalizations for why women were not allowed to vote were backed up by the scientists, the medical doctors, the scientists. They were right there with this bogus, BS pseudoscience. That's exactly what's happening with voice hearing right now that's exactly what's happening with suicidal feelings it's exactly what's happening with depression it's exactly what's happening with thought broadcasting it's exactly what's happening with talking to the ancestors in mediumship with cutting with all these different experiences that are considered weird and, and abnormal and oddball and madness and mental illness they're just seen as we got to control them we got to like you know medicate them we got to and it's completely wrong and i really think we need a complete revision of our total understanding of what. So that's why I'm, a, I'm an abolitionist. Let's just abolish mental health. It's take, we should have learned our lesson around homophobia because the whole society went along. Well, the doctors say, the scientists say, let's just oppress all the lesbian and gay. We should have learned a lesson. That's what we're doing with you. Right now, you go to an emergency room and you say, yeah, I feel suicidal. I have a voice that's telling me to kill myself. First of all, they're going to not let you leave. And second of all, they're going to push you and force you and sometimes literally tie you down and inject you with a drug that is not fixing the, the biology of voice hearing, but it's just numbing you out. It's just sedating you. It's, or it ha- it's giving you a reaction that makes you worse. And a lot of people who are on those meds, they say, yeah, you know, I, I still hear the voices. I just don't care because I'm so sedated. So this is, a, this is a, a, a crime. This is a complete, um, wrong direction with science. And the scary thing is that more and more people are buying into it in the United States. And it's, it's spreading worldwide in the name of modernizing our mental health system in the name of providing good treatments all out of compassion. Well, guess what? All those people who were locked up in psych hospitals and said, now, you know, these, these feelings that you have for another man, Ooh, we really need to get those fixed. That was done out of compassion too that some of the worst kinds of evil in society are done in the name of good. I mean, think about colonialism, think about the Spanish Inquisition, think about the Crusades, think about the, um, the massacre and, and genocide against indigenous people, it was all done in the name of spreading the gospel and spreading, spreading uh, enlightened civilization. So, you know, hard, yes, harm reduction view, less, yes, respecting people where they're at with their substances, If you want to continue on your meds, man, God bless you. You're creative. You're living your life. Do whatever you want to do. I totally respect it. But let's be honest. Whatever it is that you went through, Jason, you were never crazy. You were just different. That's how I see it. And it's really hard to deal with difference. And maybe medicating it was the best thing that you had. That 15-year-old kid, I don't think he needed Ritalin. I really don't. I think he needed something else. You were different. Something was going on. But at 15, I bet you were the canary in the coal mine for your family. I bet your family was pretty messed up. I bet there were problems in your family. That were This is just my assumption. This is my guess because this is what I see with 15-year-olds. I bet there was something in your family. And instead of saying, hey, let's get around the kitchen table and start talking, they're like, oh, well, let's fix Jason with some pills. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. Um, I mean... I mean, well, there's so much we could talk about, uh, uh, from peer support to the Mad Movement to everything. I, I want those two things. I, I mean, first of all, we, we need to close off. We've been talking forever. I could talk to you forever. You're like the guru uh, that 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 I that I need in my life. But honestly, two things I want to say. All right, this I'm you can, can go on and say it. The movie Beautiful Mind. Okay, the way that they portrayed voices and stuff in that movie was bullshit and it was
0: sensationalized and I hated it yeah yeah I hated that movie too uh, they lied about medication you know that John Nash the mathematician John Nash who was in Beautiful Mind played by Russell Crowe he was actually recovered because he wasn't on meds and then they rewrote that's in his biography if they rewrote the story to make it into an antipsychotic advertisement that is criminal level propaganda. That's yeah. the kind of that's just that's the kind of stuff that they would do in the 20s to try and sort of like explain away why some black people were intelligent or some some women were actually, you know, leaders in the community. They would it's like they would twist the facts to kind of fit their stereotypes. And yeah. that's considered like that's considered an educational film about sch- schizophrenia, what total BS. What total bullshit. That is, right? that is lifted, that's lifted up by the pharmaceutical industry as a compassionate, oh, because, I mean, look, it is more compassionate than like just killing people or, you know, tying them up in the cellar. I mean, there's definitely worse things that you can do than medical treatments. And But look, that um, that I'm glad you mentioned that film because it's a symptom of, and people are scared to think like big picture, but we've got to think big picture. You know, we've got to think that that's, if, if, if the society is totally wrong and everybody's going along with it, you don't say, well, maybe society's not that wrong afterward all. I, I better just go along. No, if, if you live in a society where slavery is legal, the society is totally wrong. Even if you and your 10 Quaker friends are the only ones protesting slavery. We live in a society where the mental health system needs to be abolished because it's based on completely quack science and total misunderstanding and just propaganda about pills. That's the society we're living in. We need to face that and then respond honestly from that and then yeah. move forward from where we are. But until we face that, I think it's, it's uh, you know, we're just going to keep, keep the whole machine going. People are just going to keep hurting and they're not going to get the help that they need.
1: All right. Well, well, you know, thank you for entertaining my beautiful mind.
0: thing, because It was just bothering me because it's so glad really you said cool. that. Oh, I hate that movie. There's, oh, a God. there's a there's a PBS documentary film that actually is much better. So if you're interested
1: in John Nash. and Yeah. I mean, if you've ever read the book, it's a biography. It's like about math and stuff. It's not about that movie, that movie. I mean, yeah loosely based on the that movie should be loosely based on his life because first of all the book was really really dry and statistic driven and like about math the whole time there was not like russian spies and him jumping in a car and no,
0: that's just oh yeah. god i hated that movie well, apparently about john nash's story one of the things that helped him was i forget it was at mit that he was uh, it, was, uh, MIT. it yeah. was mit yeah one of the things that helped him is that the community Tolerated that weird math guy. He could go yeah. and act weird and they accepted him. That's the message from the John Nash story is that it wasn't the meds, it was having the community where you can be weird and then you can just, you know, be in your room for six days without eating or sleeping, and then come out the other side with the whole transformation and the paradigm of how we think about math here. You know, I mean that's that's what we need to be learning is tolerance for. Yeah. Yeah.
1: so like even though he came up with game theory which is amazing and it was like after like 50 years of wh- whatever like him s- mm-hmm. kind of suffering in in this world there is there's is the, the the part where people started to accept him for his quirkiness for his hanging around the library and all that kind of stuff and then all of a sudden i i, I mean and, you know whatever we're, we're, we're talking about the movie but i'm just yeah. saying that like you know we need stuff like we need people like will hall in the world we need peer support people
0: we need people like you in the world
1: so yeah. yeah no but we need we need people who get it about mental health and um you know I, i'm a proponent of i work within this system and i am in but not of the system as i've been you know uh, taught to to be and but this is the first time i've ever heard of actually saying like this system is just fucking off like the whole thing is of off so. like from treatment to everything but i mean of course it's a, it's a it's a radical view to think that in a perfect world you know mental health would just be like not even a, a not not even be a thing like it was just like it was just like except not, except You know when what you mean?
0: Realize, except when you realize that the mental health system is, is very young it's only okay. really been around for I mean, community mental health is only since the 60s. '60s. But then if we talk about the asylum system and psychiatry, we're only talking like 150 years. So the vast majority of human experience, they never needed this kind of like technocratic pharmaceutical industry, control industry. And I mean, I think that you pointed out something really important. You said, I work in the system, but I'm not of the system. And so there are people who are getting jobs in mental health. I mean, I, I, I work as a counselor. I'm a therapist but we have to be change agents. We have to transform it from where we are. So I don't just, people don't just come to me and say, hey, Will, I'm hearing voices, can you help me? You know, I say, hey, actually, I don't think you need a therapist, you need a hearing voices group. Maybe you should write write about your experience on Mad in America, why come to a counselor? I'm always trying to build the community dimension of recovery, because I'm not telling them that the problem is inside of their head, but the reality is that there's a gap. We don't have the transformed society so we need like peer specialists, we need peer supporters that they can find you and then they can meet you and they can find, that we need some counselors who have a different perspective. perspective. We need um, sanctuary places, we need alternative programs like Soteria uh, Vermont. We need like places like Inner Fire in Vermont. We need pla- or, uh, initiatives like open dialogue, but these are really transitional spaces and the people in those spaces should not be just promoting them as, as the solution. Peer support isn't the solution. Individual counseling isn't the solution. These are ways that we transition towards the society, and the only way we're going to get there is if we talk about it. So yeah, you can people can say, "Oh, Will Hall, he's radical. He's a visionary." But yeah, because the only way we make change, the whole society, everything you see around you that's human-made started in people's minds. People had images and visions of what they could create, and that's what we need to do. We need to start talking about what we want to create in the place of this that's one of the reasons i love the bernie sanders campaign it's because the guy is like yeah i'm a democratic socialist let's talk about it this is what i think housing everyone should have it job everyone should have it no poverty sorry you know everyone should have health care it's called the universal declaration of human rights people should read it that's the society that we should that's the conversation that we need to have and we need to include mental health as part of that conversation. What kind of society do you wanna live in? Ecological sustainability, we can do it. We can, we can reinvent it. We just had a massive pandemic shutdown that dramatically slowed the economy. If we can do it for the pandemic, we can do it for climate change. We can do it to reorganize our society around mutual aid and away from capitalism. We can do it, but it takes talking about it. It takes envisioning it, it takes pushing it. It takes meeting about it. It takes getting serious about what kind of society we want to live in, rather than oh, I don't really know, and uh, I'm just kind of depressed. I just want to avoid it, and uh, it's just what's on Netflix. And I do that too. I do that. Queen's too. Gambit, it's awesome. Queen's Gambit is very good. Well, oh, there uh-huh. you, there you go, there you go. Yeah. But we got to uh-huh. start. We got to start coming out with our vision of what society, what kind of society we want to live in.
1: Well, uh, you know, I, I I am so so thankful that you came on the show it's been such a wonderful couple out i feel like we've been talking for like two hours now and it's been a really just a great conversation um you are a a great guy um uh listeners you have to get get you have to learn to know will hall uh there's a couple things you you check out madness radio check out mad in america we didn't even touch the topics of everything that i wanted to talk to to Will about, we could talk so much more about his articles in Madden America. We talk about, he's been doing Madness Radio for like tw- 12, year, 12 years, 12 oh, years? Yeah, yeah, 12 basically. years? Um, you, you started the Freedom Center. There's, there's the Hearing Voices Network movement. There's a lot that we could talk about, but if you want to just learn a little bit about Will, read Outside Mental Health. Not only is, uh, is is there's, there's personal essays of uh, Will's, and there's also like some real OGs in here, like uh like oryx is in oryx cohen's in here and oh, started? Uh, leah, leah harris is in here and um sarah is in here so okay. she's been on my show um and um just some really great stuff um outside mental health voices mm-hmm. and visions of madness um, download
0: free download it for free if you don't want to buy you can it.
1: download this for free Again. okay Okay, so you can download, all right, so this is, this, this my first page got ripped off, but this is the harm reduction guide right here. Um, and you can also get outside mental health for free, both on willhall.net. Check out um, Madden America for more of uh, Will's uh, articles. Um, we didn't even talk about the, 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 the article that you wrote in June about defund the police, which was amazing. Um, and, and I will just, I'll just say one thing. Um, if you are a mental health expert um, and you have calm if you're having a mental emergency on your um, if you have mental if you say if you have a mental emergency call 911 on your voicemail just consider changing that um, that doesn't really help anyone and if you want to really learn more about that read Will Hall's article in was in June on *A Man in America*.
0: oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Get, get the police out of mental health. Police should not be in mental health, and this is starting to change. Around yeah. The country. Now the question of who should be in mental health is another question, but clearly the police have nothing to do with responding to mental health calls to 911. And the therapists that put, you know, if this is an emergency, hang up and dial 911, and you know, it's, they just do that to cover some legal fantasy that they're going to get sued. But you don't want to be you don't want to be spreading the idea that calling the police or going to the ER is safe because it's not. Let's yeah. be honest. It's not and safe. in
1: the article, it, it details about 10 examples of how it was not safe for someone to get a wellness check um, by the police. So um, will um, once again, uh, Mad in America, uh, Outside Mental Health Voices and Visions of Madness um and madness radio will hall is all over um the map for uh mental health advocacy um abolition really which is awesome and um i'm just gonna uh, you know my if i could i would shake your hand if i could there we go I'm shaking <laughs> your, hand.
0: your hand too, man. yeah
1: zoom zoom shake yeah um I i'm just gonna close off with uh what were you gonna say well
0: i just want to give a shout out to oddball magazine you know and uh make some donations y'all there's they have got the arts foundation and really worthy cause and jason you are you're modest but you are blazing the way and you're showing the path and you're the you're the voice that lets other vote encourages other voices to come forward and lets other voices make it a little bit easier to come forward so thank you for your work jason all that you do brother
1: thanks will man that means a lot um I'm gonna close off uh, today with uh, you know uh, just a lot of gratitude for will Hall but I'm gonna read this poem uh, it's called Jagged Thought 122 heroes are born in the fire and um, I wrote I wrote this about uh, May 3rd 2016 uh, so that was uh, during the dumpster presidency so that was May 3rd 2016 but it's more about um, it's more about uh, just m- Well, you would say madness in general. So uh, Jagged Thought 122, Heroes are Born in the Fire. Hmm. Every tempered word is heard. Flocks of free birds and four-letter words full of expletives and sedatives, medications and libations, mounting frustrations. Place your bottles on the mantel, see how much you can handle. Take a psych ward stay, regress back to your last one. Take your shoelaces away and out by nine like the last one. Write with a magic marker, not a stilo, they are dangerous. And no belts or drawstrings, let the medication strangle us. And when they take a writer's pen and you have to write with magic marker, you gotta go slower, gotta write smarter. So you slow your flow so the ink doesn't bleed and smudge. And You write each word slower one by one. I don't need love to push the tourniquet, the medication to silence the mental Tourette's, the sedation of a Ramon song with broken legs, don't want to live in a pet cemetery i don't want to live my life again like joey said caffeine in my bloodstream my regret is strong like my heartbeat irregular up the geodone the risks outweigh the benefits using first generation meds no cell phones no cords milks and juice in the fridge under lock and key and this is supposed to work for me i am an independent schizoaffective I am no derelict, I am the president, I am the karma and the sutures, 13 stitches in my head like no effects, brain damage or just another piece of the pie chart. Working at the rhythm's the only job I got. The memory of loss goes a long way back and I sit and await the cold compass, the math of one med plus two meds got me fed up. Living with the trees, the forest lit up. Heroes are born in the fire, awake and breathe like the grass around the centipede, up goes your levels, down goes the depression. Balance in the force, Jedi's ask questions, still have wrong answers. Hans flies with an eight foot dog, and Leia, well, I respect Leia. She stands with us, not the doctors, not the process, the manics I trust. Heroes are born in the fire, heroes walk among us. That was Jagged Thought 122, Heroes are Born in the Fire. And that's why I wrote it. I wrote it because of uh, of Carrie Fisher. That's why.
0: Yeah, yeah. 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 She was
1: she was a super advocate back, you know, before this was even before she passed. I, I don't know if she had passed around this time, but I, man, did I look up to her. Um, her story was awesome.
0: So wow.
1: that's what that one's about. That one, the Princess Leia there. In case listeners, you don't know, that's Princess Leia's Carrie Fisher. uh uh, well thank you for being on the show man um a thousand thank yous really i appreciate it
0: thank you thank you jason thank you so much hell of a guy
1: really like oh my god I, i i could still talk to you you're great um all right well um everybody this has been the oddball show we've been with the awesome will hall um my name is jason Wright. uh we'll see you all uh real soon uh be good to everybody bye
2: If you've been tuning into our preposterous podcast and like what you've been hearing, why not pop over to iTunes and leave us a review? iTunes not your thing? Well then come on over and follow us on Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play Music, and Buzzsprout. Learn more about who we are at oddballmagazine.com and jplineproductions.com. Link up with us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Send us a tasteful yet inspiring postcard, or just give us a holler in your nearest CB radio, good buddy. On behalf of Jason Wright and myself, thanks for listening to The Oddball Show. Stay tuned.